0: week. And so if you wouldn't mind turning with me to John chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 35. John chapter 1 and from verse 35. I've got the NIV this morning. The next day, John, this is John the baptizer, was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Remember, just before this, he had identified, Jesus said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We did that a few weeks ago. But now this is a few days later, or the next day, and he says again, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they started following Jesus. They left John. They left their rabbi like, hey, cheers, buddy, we're going after this guy, Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asks what do you want? Some translations say, what do you seek? They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Maybe they were homeless, I don't know. (laughs) Come, he, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two disciples who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, that's Peter, and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you'll be called Cephas, which when translated as Peter, it means stone. I thought it'd be cool if we could call him Rocky. Rocky you know, like the, the boxer, but Jesus, you know, Rocky hadn't been filmed at that point, and so they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have got it. Stony, Eda. <laughs> you know. So that's our text for this morning, and I want to look at from these few verses just a few basics of discipleship, a few basics of what it means to follow Jesus, because these disciples, this was their start of their journey following Jesus, and what had happened is that these two disciples of John, they changed rabbi, they changed teacher, they left John and started following Jesus. Now, it doesn't seem like John the baptizer was upset that, I mean, he only had two at that point, and they both left him, right? He doesn't seem upset. Why? Because the whole focus of his ministry was pointing people to Jesus, And so he was happy that his disciples had started following Jesus. And these two disciples, one was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. The other one was most likely John, the beloved disciple who wrote the gospel of John. But these two disciples, Andrew and John, they didn't get captivated by this charismatic, wild preacher from the desert called John. You know, he he wore a camel for his clothing. He had locusts legs between his teeth. They didn't get captivated by this charismatic man who was preaching a radical message, but they got captivated by his message, which was, behold the Lamb of God. And they started following Jesus. And friends, you and I, we must never, ever, ever follow a person or a personality or a preacher or an opinion or, or an organization. We must follow Jesus So my first point this morning, what does it mean to be a disciple, is that disciples follow Jesus. You might say, well, that is the most obvious point ever, but I'm going to repeat it because it's so easy not to follow Jesus. Have you noticed that we're very good at adding things to our faith? Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus my effort and hard works. It's me getting up early and praying. Me plus some other philosophy, me plus some, or not me, but Jesus plus some new age teaching, you know, all roads lead to Rome. No. It's Jesus plus nothing and Jesus minus nothing. We're to follow Jesus. Every generation has battled with this really simple concept. In our generation, it's very easy to gather around ourselves a large number of of online teachings and podcasts and people from America or or Europe or Australia who are preaching and teaching, and we gather around those teachings which we like, our favorite theology, our, our particular worldview, or those things that we think are more important than what Jesus thinks. Very easy to gather those things around and make our own kind of faith. No, we ought to follow Jesus only and His Word. Very easy to read lots of daily devo- devotions. I'm sure many of you get them on email or see them on Facebook or forward them on WhatsApp, etc. There's nothing wrong with those. But in many cases, we've outsourced, we've delegated our faith to other people who might love Jesus and who write very well or who preach very well, but we can't have a second-hand relationship with Jesus. It's gotta be you or me meeting with Jesus ourselves. So disciples, number one, most important, we follow Jesus. Secondly, when we start following Jesus, we realize we have to start evaluating our motives. We gotta search our hearts. When these two disciples came to Jesus, the first thing he does, he asks them a question. A very simple question, but very direct, very profound. He says, what do you want? Or other translations, what do you seek? Why have you come to me? What is the reason you're here? He wanted to find out if they were just like you know, oh, there's a new preacher on the block. Let me just go check out this guy called Jesus. John recommends him, you know, let's just go. Nothing to do this afternoon. Let me go check out who Jesus is. Or if they had a genuine desire to know Christ. He was assessing their hearts, checking out their motives. I reckon Jesus asks us the same question every time we come to him. Let's evaluate our motives as we show up for church this morning. Often, and I'll put myself in this category sometimes, we have selfish motives for coming to church or for coming to Jesus. You know, I've had, I've had such a difficult week. It's been so hard and challenging and I'm tired. But, you know, when, when we sing those worship songs, I just, I get such a boost. Yeah, oh, I better come to church. I'm going to feel better after church, eh? And that's not wrong in some ways, because when we worship God, we realize how amazing He is, and we experience His presence, and we do feel better. But the point of worship is not me feeling better, it's exalting the King. So Sometimes our worship, our motives aren't the best, if we're honest. Sometimes we, we come to God for what we can get out of Him. We want God to bless us, and so we think, oh, well, if I, if I go to church every Sunday... If I go to a life group every week, like you're jumping through this hoop, then, then I, I get some credit, some brownie points with God, and He's going he's gonna to bless me. So I, I better go to church, you know. But sometimes our motives aren't always as they should be. I think most often when we come to God, myself terribly included in this category, is that we're neutral, we have a low expectation we just show up. We come to life group maybe, or we, we wake up early and we have a devotional time with Jesus. And we we like, well, you know, if, you know, if God doesn't speak or if He doesn't answer our prayers, it's not a big deal. And we kind of saunter in with little faith that God is going to do something. You know what the disciples replied, Andrew and John? I'm going to add in some of their words because what I think they said, when Jesus said, what do you want? He said, they said, we're all in. In fact, we're so in, tell us where you're staying. We're going to come and camp on your front yard. We're going to be your, like your second shadow. We're so convinced. We're, we're all in. Friends, what about you and I? Are we all in? Or are we maybe... A fair-weather Christian, you know what that means? When the weather's good, when life is okay, when it's, then you find those Christians serving God. You know, when it's not too stressful, when, when life isn't too busy and, and God seems to be answering your prayers, then you come to church, then you come to life group. In, in the good times, when it's convenient to you, when you're getting something out of your faith, then you, then you come to God, Right? Sometimes we can be those kinds of Christians. On the other side, I don't know what to call them, but those people, when life is going okay, they are far from God. (laughs) They're far from church. They're doing their own thing. But the moment trouble strikes, the moment there's difficulty or challenge or loss or tragedy, at that point, suddenly you find them praying. At that point, suddenly you find them reading the Bible or or coming to life group. But the disciples said, we're all in. Tell us where you're staying. And the scary thing about this question that Jesus I think would ask us every day are you coming to me what do you want what do you seek is that he knows already what's in our hearts and we can't fool him he, he asks us that question graciously for us to realize what's in our own hearts because we're very good at putting a bit of a mask up aren't we we're human Number three, following Jesus is about being with Jesus. It's about staying with Him. It's a relationship. It's not a whole bunch of rules, but it's a dynamic relationship. He says, come and see. He invites the disciples to be with Him. In one of the other Gospels, when He he goes up to the mountain, He prays all night long, and He comes down and He He chooses the 12 disciples. He calls them to Himself. You know what it says? I think it's in the book of Mark. He says, He called them to be His disciples and to be with Him. Before they were going to be trained to go out and preach or heal the sick, He called them to be with Him. And this is what following Jesus is about. It's about being with Him. And I say it's dynamic because it's not, you're not coming to, when you go and you pray to God, you're not coming to a robot or what's that new chatbot, GBT, whatever it's called, are the AI things that can talk back to you, whatever. It's, it's not static, it's dynamic. And what I mean by that is the relationship is, it's evolving and changing. The best way I can describe it, if I think of my, my marriage with Candace, that's dynamic because sometimes I wake up in a really good mood and life is great, but when I wake up in a bad mood, Yo, Candice has to be careful, poor lady. But sometimes, out of the blue, we'll put the kids to bed and we're like, hey, there's nothing on tonight, let's go for a quick walk around the block, spontaneous walk, and we have this conversation and we catch up and there's no kids to interrupt the conversation, which is the beauty of having a walk when they're in bed, right? Other times, we'll suddenly stumble into a very serious conversation, just the two of us, unplanned that's going to shape the next months and years of our lives, talking about deep things. Every now and then, and Candice is very good at this, she'll randomly tell me how amazing I am. (laughs) I've obviously got uh, self-image issues because she keeps telling me, no, you're amazing, you look great. (sighs) I'm kidding. Or she'll thank me for something I've done to help her. I might surprise her sometimes with a Unexpected gift or a bunch of flowers. Or or sometimes we'll talk about our dreams for the future and what God has for us. Our relationship is dynamic. Every day is different. Does that make sense? And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. It's dynamic. Sometimes we have these heart-to-heart, deep conversations with God that end up changing our life. We have an encounter with Him and we're different. And suddenly it's like a watershed moment and everything changes from that point forward. Sometimes we get lost in worship and all we can do is exalt Him and thank Him for how amazing He is. Sometimes He will surprise us with some kind of gift or desire of our heart, something that we might not even have verbalized and we're just overwhelmed with how good He is. Because it's just this unexpected goodness from God that's arrived in our lives. Sometimes God, speak to us, God speaks to us about the hopes and the dreams and the future that He has for us. It's dynamic relationship. But Jesus invites these disciples, He says, come and see. Come and check it out for yourself firsthand. He invites them into this life-changing relationship of being with Him. It's not a philosophy, it's not a theory, it's not an intellectual concept, it's a relationship with a person, with Jesus. And these disciples were going one way, they were following John the baptizer, but then they do a, a 180, they do an about turn and they start following Jesus and they realize the truth as they start following him. And he says to them, come and see, and he would say to all of us, come and see, he invites us, come and be with me, come and be where I am, come and get to know me personally, come and spend time with me. Friends, I want to, if you get one thing from today's message, get this, time with Jesus changes you. Time with Jesus changes you. These disciples spent the day with Jesus, and they were changed to the extent that they said, we found the Messiah one afternoon, and they are absolutely convinced this is the Redeemer, this is the Christ. One afternoon, that's all it took for them to be convinced, because time with Jesus changes. I want to say, with as much grace as I can today, if your life and your faith and your motives and your speech and everything else and your marriage and your parenting and your working, if your life hasn't changed much in the last few weeks and months, I would question, are you spending proper time with Jesus? Because time with Jesus changes you. The best thing for my marriage is not for me to point out what Candice is doing wrong, it's for me to spend time with Jesus and getting grace, and love, and patience, and forgiveness. The best thing for my parenting is not to order my kids around like a general, although sometimes they need that, I think, but it's for me to spend time with Jesus because that changes me into a better dad. I love in the book of Acts, chapter 4, Peter and John, it's the the start of the church, and they're they're on their way to a prayer meeting. They're walking to the temple to pray in the afternoon, and they walk past this gate of the temple, and there's a crippled man, a beggar, sitting on the side, and he's begging. And they interact with him, and, and Peter prays for him, and he gets healed, and suddenly he can walk. This amazing miracle happens, and this guy who's just been healed just like we were jumping around, excited, praising God, obviously there's a commotion. Other people hear what's happening, they, they come and see. And so this big crowd forms around Peter and John and this ex-cripple. And Peter preaches the gospel, a sermon is preached, and, and the temple guards, they're watching and they alert the authorities. The authorities come, the elders, the teachers of the law. They come and they, they throw John and Peter in prison overnight. Maybe, you know, a night in jail will cure them of what they're doing, you know, make them think clearly. So the next day, they, they take Peter and John out, and they put them before the Sanhedrin, and they say, explain yourselves, this crowd, this disturbance, this healing, by whose power are you healing? You know what it says? It says, Peter spoke boldly. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't defiant. He spoke boldly. He explained them, themselves, and that Jesus had healed And this is what it says in Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, flabbergasted, amazed, dumbstruck. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow. They looked at them. Hey, Peter's a fisherman. He smells fishy. Uh, You know, like a a fisherman who fishes every day of his life. You know what their clothes look like? You know what their hair looks like? They look like a fisherman. (laughs) But they looked at Peter and John. They saw ordinary people. But yet when they spoke, there was this authority, this power, this presence, this boldness. They're like, something's different. These are unschooled, ordinary men. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Friends, are you and I being with Jesus? Because this is the kind of thing that can happen when we do. And it doesn't matter whether you're schooled or unschooled, whether you're eloquent or whether you stutter, whether you shy or whether you're brave and extroverted. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, black or white, doesn't matter where you live, all that matters is have you been with Jesus? Because that is what changes you. Last point this morning. Some basics of following Jesus and being a disciple. Is that disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. The first thing that Andrew does when he realizes Jesus is the Messiah, what does he do? Doesn't have a pre-meeting doesn't give thanks. <laughs> he goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter. He says, we found the Messiah. He brings his brother to Christ. The first thing he does when he's realized. And his message was simple. He'd, he'd only had this revelation for one day. But he says, Peter found the Messiah. But for, for hundreds of years, we've been waiting for this redeemer of our nation. The prophets have spoke about him. I found him. Come and see Jesus. And I wonder what the impact of that one invitation was. We don't hear much about Andrew in the Bible. Didn't plan a church. Didn't write a book. We don't know too much about him. Simon Peter we hear a lot about. He's that... He's this A-type leader, he's extroverted, he's always making controversial statements. He's the one who stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches and 3,000 get saved. He's one of the pillars in the church of Jerusalem in the early days of the church. He writes two books of the Bible, but it wasn't his cleverness that brought him to faith. It was his brother, quiet Andrew, who said, come, we found the Messiah. Now, Andrew, I think, was always overshadowed by his bigger than life brother. In fact, this first time we read about Andrew in the Bible, he's not Andrew the Joker, Andrew who can tell good stories, Andrew the great bramaster. He's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. How's that? How would you like to be introduced? Ha, huh? so and so, you're the brother of so and so. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Nice to know your name. It seems like Andrew's always overshadowed by, by his brother, and yet it was Andrew that brought Peter to Christ. It's amazing. After one day of meeting Jesus, you know that he probably had pretty bad theology at that point. Jesus hadn't preached much. He didn't go to Bible school. He didn't have any training courses. All he did was speak the language of the day. And to Jewish people to say, we found the Messiah, that makes sense, right? They got that culturally. Today, if we go around telling people, hey, we found the Messiah, they'll be like, "Woo!" Unless you're speaking to Jewish people, then they might get it, right? (laughs) So we, we have to find the right language for the people we're reaching, right? We're a different culture today than they were. But we don't need any special training, friends. If you've been a believer for one day, you can bring someone to Christ. The great apostle Peter was brought to Christ by a simple invitation by his brother. You know, every other time we see Andrew in the book of John, every other time we see Andrew in the book of John, you know what he's doing? It's bringing someone to Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you get a bit uh, despondent or a bit disappointed or a bit sad when you share your faith with someone in your family or your neighbor or your colleague at work or you invite them to church or life group, whatever it might be, and they say no. I invited someone last. night. Hey, do you want to come to church? Nah it's not, not for me, he said. But we can get despondent when people say no, when we get rejected, right? But we mustn't. You know that John the baptizer... His first few sermons had no fruit. Remember he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one left him to follow Jesus on that day. But the next day he preaches again, behold the Lamb of God. And suddenly, Andrew and John get it. His first sermon was, it seems like, a waste of time. There was no fruit from his first sermon. But the second time he preached, Andrew and John left. And maybe the next day, More of His disciples left, possibly. Friends, we mustn't give up if our first few attempts seem to be met with apparent rejection. We have no idea what God is doing in that person's heart. When the time is right, their hearts will soften and turn to God. Our job is simply to be faithful with sowing seed, faithful with praying for them. They might not even know they might not even want you to pray for them, but you can pray for them without them knowing. <laughs> How cool is that? It's like secret warfare. No one knows what's happening, but God's working in their hearts. It's our job to, to invite, to, to test the waters if you like. It's our job to show love and kindness and let this, this kingdom spill out from us around into other people and they see the love of God through us. It's God's job to turn their hearts. It's just our job to keep sowing seed and being faithful. So telling others, making disciples is part of our following. And we need to, I think, learn how to do it naturally. Some of us, we're quite uh, frightened or scared about talking about God, talking about our faith or sharing a testimony, or maybe how we got saved or came to faith. We get a bit flustered, well, what do I say? What are they going to think? And we just have to get over ourselves sometimes and let it come out in conversation naturally. A few weeks ago, I was in KZN for work. I worked for an agricultural company. And I was driving around with a colleague looking at some of the farms in the fields. And uh, he said to me, how did you end up in Joburg? Because I used to be in KZN. In fact, I used to work in the town where he works now. And I said to him, hey, funny story you should ask. Because I had to work back for two years. I had a two-year contract working here. And, uh, and then I told him the story of how God had directed Candice and I to not move to that town, but rather to stay out of the town and to travel in every day, and how God eventually ended up leading us to Joburg. And it just, I've told the story so many times, because it was genuinely God who directed us and closed most of the doors that we were trying to knock on and open, but God so graciously left one open, the one we didn't want to go through, <laughs> ever happened to you? you've knocked on all the nice-looking doors, God closes them, and you're like, oh boy, it's that door. Pfft. I mean, who wants to come to Joburg? From KZN, the Midlands. Anyway, story for another time. But it just, I didn't force the guy to commit his life to Christ. I just talked about how we had prayed, how God had spoken, and how we'd seen the, the, the hand of God since being in Joburg. It just came up naturally. We need to learn to talk naturally about our faith because our faith is a natural part of our lives. Many people are not going to come to church and hear a sermon. You know that. Many people won't, despite our prayers and our invitations. But they might see God's love and kindness through you. They might see some supernatural peace or an amazing perseverance through a hard time, that they look at what you're going through and how you are navigating that with the grace of God, and they might be, I want what they've got. We don't know how God's going to work. They might never come to church, but they might hear the gospel preached through your lives and how we live our lives. So let me ask us in closing this morning, who has God put in your life? People that you're in touch with, your the neighbors on your street, your colleagues at work, the hobby that you do on a Saturday afternoon, whatever it might be. Who has God already put in your life that He wants you to be an Andrew to? Because most of us are never going to become Peters, right? We're not going to get up and preach and 3,000 are going to be saved. None of us are going to write the book of the Bible, right? But all of us can be like Andrew. Whenever we find Andrew in John's gospel, he's He's just bringing someone to Christ. And the knock on effect, the impact of that is incredible. We can see it in Peter's lives, but it happens with a multiplying kind of effect. So, who is, I want to challenge you, your homework tonight or this week. Go and pray and write down God, are there three people that I can be proactive at praying for them? Maybe it's someone you haven't seen in a few years. And you send them a message tonight. Hey, have I suddenly thought of you today. And you, maybe you decide, let's, let's hang out with this person once a month, have coffee or invite them over and start building a bridge of friendship again so that you can talk into their life, so that you can pray for them, so that they can see your divine peace as you're going through a difficult time, so that the kingdom can spill out to those around you. This living water that God's put inside us, you know that the world wants it desperately. You know that the, the water that they're drinking doesn't satisfy. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the water you drink will not satisfy you, but if you drink the water I give you, you'll be satisfied forever. Friends, the water, the things that the world is chasing, that they're filling their lives with, does not satisfy. But when they see the living water coming out of your life, they're going to be drawn to Christ. So let's maybe call it Project Andrew, whatever you want to call it. Have a prayer list and a hit list of who you're going to pray for, who you're going to invite to church, etc. And let's trust for God to have to bring people like Simon Peter. All it takes is an invitation, and maybe a very influential person could come to faith. And society could be changed because of your invitation. Amen. Can we stand? I want to pray for us as we're closing this morning.